Hello and welcome to the TT Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk to one person from the world of the TT racers to discuss their lives, their journeys, their ambitions and their relationship with the greatest motorsporting event in the world. I'm Chris Pritchard and with me as ever, TT legend, Steve Plater. Chris, how are you doing? I'm alright, how are you? Yeah, good, good. The sun's starting to shine and uh, I'm looking forward to it all. We're getting closer, aren't we? Very. You're buzzing. Yep, yep. It's all changing this year, of course, and uh, getting ready for some live action. So, talking about today's guest, you've had a few, I wouldn't say run-ins, but you've, you've, you've worked with this man, under this man? Yeah, worked closely with, with uh, Mr. Beltran, you know, when my time with Honda, and so he's been kind of uh, running things behind the scenes and also, at some points in my career, the opposition. So you're going to try and squeeze some juice out of him today? I'm going to be a little bit cheeky. <laughs> Let's see how we get on with him. Our guest for today's episode of the TT Podcast is Honda Racing UK race team manager Javier Beltran. Cut this man in half and he bleeds Honda. Over 30 years with the company, he's worked his way up through the ranks, starting out as a mechanic for the motocross team. Now he runs the biggest racing team in British racing. That being said, 2022 poses a new challenge as despite his involvement with the brand and with the event through the years, this will be his first TT as the boss with none other than John McGuinness and Glenn Irwin. Harv, before we start, can we just clear up? For years I've watched British Superbikes, World Superbikes, everything, and I've seen you in the pit garages. People refer to you as Harv, but your name is Javier. Can yeah. you explain that to me, please? Yeah, um, father's Spanish, so it ah, is see. Javier see. Emilio Beltran. So, you speak but, Spanish? Um, uh, no, not fluent. No, neither do no, I. No. <laughs> I. I thought so. that because I googled you this morning, obviously oh knowing you was coming oh on, and, and uh, it came up as a as a Spanish person. It said thirty eight years old, so I knew I got the wrong person. That <laughs> <laughs> you an actor? Thanks, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> So, yes. th- so you are the first guest that's come on to the podcast who's not been a racer from the TT. Mm. Um, Thank you. Normally, we ask the riders what it feels like when they're when they're approaching the start line. What, what's it feel like for that to get that tap on the shoulder? But obviously, as someone who's stood at the side of the track watching their riders, what do you experience in those moments? How are you feeling in those moments? Are you carrying nerves? Are you hoping the job's been done right, or do you know it's been done and you're letting them go? For sure, you're carrying nerves, you know, I think, um, I don't think anybody can stand there, whether they're involved in the team, um, managing the team or supporting the riders or anything can actually say that they don't have any nerves or any jitters or butterflies or anything, because, you know, that's a massive, massive experience and the adrenaline rush and, and everything else and lots of things for sure go through your mind and, um, but to the end of the day, when you know you've got a, a, a good setup and a good crew around you and the riders have done everything they can and, you know, the team's done everything they can, it's down to the guys then on the track, you know, out on the circuit. And, um, you know, many riders approach it in a different way. And, uh, you know, John, certainly over the years, being involved with him at the TT, he's got a certain approach to it. And I've a very unique situation with Glenn in debuting his... Um, First TT as a newcomer. And, and how will you be approaching that in managing Glenn? Obviously, John's been there, done it. You need to manage him. In terms of managing Glenn's, let's say, expectations, because, you know, we've had him on the podcast and he seems fired up for it. He's, he's done his research. He's learned the, the course as much as he can now. But are you going to be there to kind of just, you know, almost rein him back in if you, if you feel like he's 
100 percent do you think 100%. he will percent um listen you know glenn has put um a tremendous amount of work and effort into it you know i've been over there several times with him spending a few times a few days there going around the circuit with him training with him and lots of things just to soak it all in and and understand it because you know it's all one thing driving around in a car mm-hmm. um but you know when you get on a bike and you know that first time you go down there and uh you know you've different it's such a different experience as as steve you know you'll you'll know who's more nervous you or glenn i think probably me yeah no understandably you know it's it's been uh we were talking about this earlier you know it's been back from middle you know towards middle to the end of 2019 when we Mm -hmm. sort of discussed this what we were going to do going forward and it was all lots of ifs and buts and, and everything else because to come in at the level that uh, Glenn's come in with the team support, and I don't mean it in any derogatory way at all. But Steve, so many young riders or so many riders, their first debut, if you like, as a newcomer, is not with a manufactured-backed, owned, controlled team. Mm-hmm. So you know, there's lots of pressures all around for all of us, and um, you know, it's just for us to make sure that Glenn has that very different mindset to the TT. Um, you know, Northwest, he's done it. He's won there. He's he's been successful. TT, on the other hand, two weeks later, is a whole new ball game. And as long as we approach and deal with it in that way, um, I'm fine. And you know, I know Glenn's got expectations, and I and I know what he, in his own head he thinks and wants to achieve and everything else. And I've told him, you know, write it all down, put it in a letter, and send it to yourself before you go and see where we are when we come back, because. Um, it's it'd be a massive eye opener to him, mm-hmm. a huge one. Yeah. So before we get to TT Twenty Two, let's talk about you. Let's talk about how you <clears throat> involved yourself with motorcycling, how you involved yourself with with Honda. So take us back to the start as a mechanic as uh, for for the motocross team. That's where it began. It's where it began, if you like. Um, I I raced motocross myself mm-hmm. in uh, early eighties um, when bikes were bikes, air cooled. Bikes were <laughs> bikes, air cooled. Yeah. <laughs> Um, first one was a Mako 440 and then a Kawasaki 500 and I had a few injuries well quite a few broken wrist broken arm broken leg and then a um, a good friend then uh, by the name of David Watson um, pulled me got me out of hospital from Shrewsbury where I had quite a badly broken leg and had it straightened in Chertsey by um, Gordon Hadfield and um, at that period of time I was sort of racing Butcher, trying to do all sorts of things, working on the door in a nightclub. And Wait, you were a butcher as well? Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, you know, the... Working on the door in a nightclub, what, <laughs> taking money? <laughs> in the clothing room. You, I can't believe my <laughs> yeah. ears, I really I can't. I know, it's, it's weird, it's just all these things going on and you just think, well, you know, it's just earning money to, to go and race. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, as you do, um... Then, you know, at the time, borrowing the the works van, if you like, which was strict instructions, I couldn't have any fuel or oil in it. <laughs> obviously, Monday carrying meat and Saturday, Sunday had a bike in it. Um, so there's all sorts of little things like that that went on, you know. And uh, But anyway, I, I broke my leg badly and Dave got me into to, um, church. He got it straightened out. And then that following year sort of um, became an opportunity to work for him part-time. Um 
as his career was sort of changing in a bit of a direction and he was getting more into the to his um, motocross training schools and things like that. And I sort of worked part-time for the butchers and part-time for Dave and then an opportunity came up in 89 to to work with Honda UK with um, with Ryan Hunt. So I, I jumped in at that and... That's been you ever since? That's it. In the, and what was that role, your first role? Mechanic. Mechanic, yeah. 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 So so then yeah. from there, do you have aspirations to, to get to where you are now or did it did it just go through and... Do you know, at the time, went? We're getting an opportunity then working for Honda and having the opportunity to for British Championship, Western, International, Grand Prix. And I sort of wanted that so much in a way that I thought, right, you know, what manufacturer do I want to work with and what do I want to do? And there's so many ifs and buts. And I didn't want to jump around from rider to rider, manufacturer to manufacturer. I sort of wanted to progress in a, in a direction. And that opportunity was there. And then, you know, for the following two, three years to, to span over for Rob Herring, who rode with Honda mm-hmm. then from 90 to 93. And then moving into to road racing, into World Superbike. But the big thing for me then was that the, Neil had the race team up in Louth in Lincolnshire, as you well know, Steve. And we are in um, Fairfield Industrial Estate, which was started off as Unit 3, then 4, then 5, and 5A, and 6A, and so on. And in the end, we consumed the whole... Took it over. Took over the whole area. But for me, in those three years there, uh, working with Rob and with Honda with motocross... I'm in there, and there's Carl Fogarty, his lot, um, Paul, you know, everybody's, all the bikes and everything in there. And for me, that's where it started for me because of the RS250 and, and um, a couple of the mechanics rail in there and getting an interest in that. And it just went from there, really. And I th- really thought that my career and opportunities were going to go in that way. In road racing, mm. as opposed to, yeah, yeah. Did you feel that there was a limit in 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 terms of where you could get to in motocross with Honda or? No, not at all. It's just that opportunity came along, and, right. and I thought this is a great way to progress and learn more. Um, and could you know? Did was your passion in road racing then? My passion was there, and I was certainly, um, I don't know, in awe of certain things with it, and the the dynamics of the bike and everything else and you know I remember when we had a couple of the RVFs and the Japanese came over there with them and you know and, and seeing them turning their bike upside down and keeping the engine and changing the gearbox was quite something special you know it's, it's certainly different ways of doing things and yeah. um, so and the engineering side behind so many things you know back in 92 when we were over in Suzuka and you know they they uh, bought out the new CR um, automatic motocross machine which is derived really with what we have with DCT now mm-hmm. within a lot of the Honda range but that was back in 1992 and you know the technology and, and the, the cutting edge development that they were doing was incredible so you're always always learning always you know Wow. So, mm-hmm. so then from mechanic in, mm-hmm. you go motocross, you go road, and then where's the next step up on the, the career ladder? And how did that come about? Would, um, would it be crew chief? Would it be? It's from crew chief, then from coordinator and workshop manager, yeah. all then through this is all working underneath uh, with Neil Tuxworth yeah. and Bob McMillan from Honda UK and Mark Davis and, and so on. And um, the opportunities there from working with the 
Honda Castro Honda World Superbike team, and it was, was from there from '94 to 2002, mm-hmm. with an array of riders from, like I said, Aaron Slight and Doug yeah. Poland, Simon Crafer, Colin Edwards, Fogarty. Did you have anybody decent? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's huge, you know, just to work along uh, yeah. with those guys and obviously get an understanding with them, you know, world-class riders, obviously, and, and you know, must be a massive, a massive experience plus a big learning learning game. Massive learning curve, Steve. Yeah. As I said earlier, you know, the, the likes of Aaron Slight and Colin Edwards and Fogarty and Kaczynski and, you know, real special people, you know, really special and unbelievable in their day and on their day on, on, a, on a machine. And to be in at that level and to experience... All of that through the 90s into 2000. And, you know, the, the battles with um, Edwards and Bayless and that in the, the final two years mm-hmm. of the um, Castro Honda team were incredible. All, all of those years, you know, uh, World Championship years and even people like uh, John Kaczynski, you know, who was the most difficult to work with? I don't mean out awkward. Of, I just, out, out of... Out of all of those world-class, World Championship <clears throat> riders, who was the most difficult to... To work with just on a day to day basis. Difficult. I don't know whether it's the words difficult would be because they're all quite unique and a mm-hmm. bit special in their own way. And you can't take, you know, I remember Kaczynski turning up t shirt, shorts, plastic bag, trainers, <laughs> and a credit card. And that was it. On his arrival? Yeah. You know, to an event. And he'd go out and buy things and um, his motorhome was immaculate and you weren't allowed in there with your shoes on or overalls or, or anything messy and, you know, heaven forbid if you did. <laughs> and, you know, when he had a tumble, if you like, and covered in dust and anything through the gravel, you knew that the airline was coming out and he'd be stood out <laughs> the back blowing everything off, <laughs> you know. But, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong in it. That's his way of doing yeah. it, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, Aaron Slight, very different. You know, Colin Edwards, very different. Very different. The fantastic thing for me, and I think for a lot of the team members then, was to see the guys on the bike and off the bike. Mm-hmm. The two sides to everything and work hard, play hard and enjoy life as well. Yeah, yeah, without doubt. You know, it's a massive thing for, for you know, for the fan base because they don't see things like that no, at, at all. No. No. So it must be it must be difficult, and it's it's almost like an extreme version of being working in an office because at the end of the day it is a working environment. But you've got to manage these these riders and manage the team. And the riders, not necessarily they've, they've not they're not all um, prima donnas, but they certainly have a, an edge and an ego that you have to that you have to manage. What did you learn yourself that's helped you now managing those riders? Like you say, Kaczynski's, Fogarty's. There's certain ego there that you've got to. To manage. First of all, going back into that era then with the Castro Honda World Superbike days, that side of it, if you like, was left more with the Japanese and Neil and so on. But mm-hmm. you certainly learn from that. And yeah. for me, taking over really from the Samson Honda days, the HM Plant days, that's when I got more involved with the riders and one-to-one and, and, and you know, on and off the record with things with them. Um, you know, Alex Lowe's when he rode with us, you know, we'd spoken to him the years before, but... Alex was on and off a bike, as in firing it down the road, left, right and centre. And, mm-hmm. you know, the year he joined us, 
there was a hell of a lot of effort in there and a lot of changes that went on, a lot of conversations, and but being able to support them as well and know that they they had, you, you know, they, uh, you had their back and they had your back um, to, to support them and going forward. And, and that's what you try and do, for whether it's from a management side or from a crew chief side or, or you know, you, you, you need to be able to support your rider in the areas and, and rein them in on certain areas because um, these guys are a bit special. Um, we all like to think we can ride bikes and ride bikes pretty quick, but to do what they do on track mm-hmm. is something else, you know. I fully understand that, you know, obviously... <laughs> Going back to the ego side with all the riders, you know, I've ridden for a lot of team managers with some massive egos. I really have, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's uh, any name, Steve, or no, no, that's not being critical, <laughs> but it's just different. But everybody's trying to achieve the same goal, whether it yeah. be uh, from any team. But it's uh, it's interesting to listen to, to things like that, obviously, because it's looking in from the other side. Yeah, and I guess as a as a manager now, you must have KPIs, key performance indicators that you have to hit as a manager, and again people just look at bike racing as if it's a fun sport that everyone just turns up to the mechanics just love working on bikes riders love riding managers love being a part of it but you've got a job to do to make sure that honda the sponsors get what they want out of it or there's going to be no racing so how do you how do you manage that how do you manage all of that on a day-to-day basis it's not enough hours in a day isn't it (laughs) no it's like i say we've we have plans targets and you know we have unbelievable spreadsheets from japan Mm -hmm. that uh race by race and lap by lap data putting in there which when you number crunch the numbers in pulls out a lovely graph and you can see how your rider is progressing through a race through the weekend through the year and you're using like we do with all the data on the bikes looking at how to improve whether it's with the machine or with the rider Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots obviously there's so many nominees now on, on the super bikes that you can change and adjust um, but there's also a huge amount with the rider that they can do once they understand certain things of the weight positioning and, and so on mm-hmm. um, but as far as you know the data side of it um, you know this morning finally emailed off uh, Glenn Irwin's data and report and everything from Silverstone because Japan we were calling and emailing and said, look, can we, can we tell us this? Can you tell us that? Can we tell... And I said, look, we'll get the whole report to you and to share that within Honomoto and HRC back in Japan because, you know, rightly so and pleased to hear that they, they really want to know what we've done, if you like, to the bike for, for Glenn to suddenly, you know, to be where we are and have a, a triple yeah. the opening round of the British Superbike Championship. And, uh, all right, all right. We've seen the news. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it, it seems like as a fan watching, you think Sunday night, you all finish racing, whether it be the TT or British Superbikes, you finish Sunday night and then that's it. We don't see you again on TV, so we don't really appreciate what goes on. But like you say, Monday morning, you're emailing... Japan, you're you know you're telling the sponsors exactly what's happened, and you're working out the data for for the following, whether it be a test or um, the next round of the the British Superbikes. Again, a lot of people don't don't actually see that. No, and a lot of people don't realise as well that you know from our team point of view, we're running a for the first two rounds a five man team, four Superbike, one Superstar, mm-hmm. in conjunction with testing for the Northwest, the Northwest, and the TT. So for us as a team, we've got 
Um, I think the next weekend they've got off is, is the end of June, as of now. Wow. Um, and they don't realise that. And it is a massive workload. It is huge. Well, and I shared the garage next to you. I think it's Silson Test. I counted 18 people wandering. That's without riders yeah. wandering in a garage. That's yeah. a massive amount of people to manage yeah. of overhead of food hotels and so on you know yeah. yeah it is steve it is it is huge but you know you you need the people to be able to do the job you need the people with the passion the motivation the desire and, and everything else to do the job when you have a, all of that that combination it makes it a lot easier it does make it a lot easier and you know we've got a really good group and a good bunch of people now in the team um and, you know, Silverstone showed for there with the problems and issues we had and the hours the guys did. So and that straight <clears> in <throat> to turning back in on Monday morning on the bank holiday, getting stuff stripped to get off to Alton Park this afternoon, the trucks were heading over to test tomorrow, back Thursday night to get ready to test at Castlecombe next week. So fast forward with that a little bit. You know, all that hard work, all of that staff to manage to look after and obviously steer the ship in the right direction. How do you manage? That's over a course of a weekend, usually. How do you manage that over two weeks at the Alaman TT? Um, again, Steve, it's going back to having the right people, doing the right jobs and having what we're trying to do all the time now is having communication, sharing information. Um, because it's all very well maybe it being up here in my head or on the laptop or anything else, but unless the other people around you know the direction you're going in and, and other things that are coming in and the curveballs being affected, whether it's good or bad, um, you kind of quite easily lose sync with everything, can't mm. you? you know, and, um, lose track. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, for me now, having Chris Chris Pike on board, crew chief on, on number two, if you like, to me, and, you know, Spider and Scott and Ed, we, we always have a, a catch-up every Monday morning when we're in and obviously in the week as well with other things evolving and just making sure that everything is in place what we think is in place and everything is arriving that we think is arriving because we're all the teams are going to uh, struggle this year with supply demand of certain components and we were in that boat going into Silverstone wow so you're struggling for parts, is that? Yeah, it's just it's just delivery. Just, yeah, you know, um, from from Brexit to what's going, you know, unfortunate situation that's going on in Ukraine. Yeah, um, everything shipping's a big issue with everything. Massive, mm. and people don't realise that um, so much carbon fibre, aluminium, titanium, magnesium comes out of Russia. Yeah, and you know, it's not only going to affect motorsport, it'll also affect aerospace and everything going mm. forward. So potentially if if a if a rider wrecks a bike, that could be that could be the weekend over because of well, lack of first, parts first, or for a four man team, for four man superbike mm -hmm. teams, we've got four race bikes in the garage yeah. and four bikes in sub assemblies plus two as backup. Right. So for me, I'm carrying far more spares yeah. than any other team in the paddock. So it's not the case I've just got the four. I've got the backup for that and the support for that. Mm -hmm. And it it wouldn't take much to get through that if they were all to be firing it down the road every session. Like each rider's got three sets of bodywork and everything there ready to go. But it only takes a few slips and spills and... You're out of stock. You, you, you're, you're running low. 
Yeah. And um, it's not so much about getting stuff painted, you know, the, the lead time to that, it's getting the components in and, you know, we're all in body work 20, 30 sets at a time. Sounds like hard work. <laughs> it's not been oh, easy. Don't, 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 <laughs> don't blow smoke out of him flipping there. Hey, I'm just saying. Sounds like somebody's doing a good job, that's all. So in terms of, the, we're back at the TT now. Yep. In terms of staff that you take to the TT, yes. are they exactly the same staff from the British Superbikes yeah. or slightly different? <clears throat> they are the same staff, albeit mm-hmm. a cross-section from all four riders right? to bring together the experience and the crew chiefs and um, data people and everything together for the TT. And is there any, so, is there any mechanics that, that say they don't want to be part of it, that, that they don't want to do the TT? Because I know I've heard people talk in the past, race teams, you know, you've asked them, are you going to go roads? And they're like, no, we, we stay away from the roads. Is that the same for, for mechanics? There has been that in the past. Um, we don't have anybody in the team that has um, expressed that they don't want to be involved in, in the TT. But yes, I've, I've heard that and I've seen that in the past and that's their own opinion. And uh, if that's how they feel about it, that, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't put them in that situation to to create an issue with it. So let's talk about your TT, TT experience. When was your first trip to the to the TT and what role were you in at the time? Well, first time over there, I was actually well, taking... You as a fan. <clears throat> well, it's... 47, taking... 47. <laughs> Just after the war. <laughs> <laughs> i got some black and white photos of him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I haven't changed. Have <laughs> Actually, you remember when we went over in 2009? We did that recreation. The... That's right. Yeah. yeah. Hold on. Still, what, yeah. What, what, what? Are you going to anyway. elaborate on that, Steve? That was great. Actually, um, we did a, a reconstruction of a, a famous photo. From what year would that have been? Now that was for the centenary. So yes. when would so that have been? 2009 for the. 50th anniversary, wasn't it? That's right, it was, yeah. it was the anniversary, yeah. And we yeah. kind of copied uh, a photo, a famous old photo of Honda staff and riders and mechanics and team bosses. Yeah, it's great. I've got a great big picture on my wall at home. It's uh, oh, nice. fabulous. Yeah, lovely. Lovely, lovely, yeah. Myself, oh. uh, from the riders' point of view, there's myself, uh, John McGuinness and Guy Martin, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Brilliant, yeah. Sorry, anyway, yep. as you were saying. So my first time over there was actually going over in early uh, 1990, taking some parts over for Honda. All oh, right. With Neil, so um, bumping in, meeting Joey Dunlop and everything in the bar, which I hadn't a clue what he was saying at the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, you know, you saw the first thing, and then obviously many years through... Through the nineties, going over there with with Honda and with with Aaron, with Colin Edwards, and and lots of the, you know taking them over to visit. Mm, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, is it on your radar or something you want to you, you want to try and conquer as a as a manager or however it might be in any roles or? Um, because I've been involved for so many years with the HM plant days, you know, with you, Steve, and with John, and and being part of the team and, and everything, and winning the TT. The that experience is is so hard to explain to people, um, unless you've been in there all those hours and weeks and preparation, um, and that's the buzz that I get from it. Mm. And then to see the flip side of that of the celebrations, the happiness, the joy that it brings to the rider, to the team, to sponsors, to partners, everything that there's that's money can't buy experiences. 
So right. how you know how does that affect you for 2022? I mean, pressure-wise, because all you know you just mentioned then back years over there first time early 90s. Obviously, the big um, Joey Dunlop era where you know Honda dominated. You know, they're the most winningest manufacturer at the Isle of Man TT races. You know, coming from many many years ago when they first went for development reasons and to compete, but uh, been very successful. You've got the second most winningest rider on the squad back again, John McGuinness, um, and it's 30 years of the Honda Fireblade this year. So are you feeling the pressure? I wouldn't say I'm feeling the pressure, but putting the team together and the way we've done it and what we're doing and what we've created at the Isle of Man for 2022, it gives us the the platform, if you like. We've got, we're going to celebrate John's 100th TT start. John McGuinness, 100th TT start. And... On the other hand, we have then Glenn Irwin, his first ever super, you know, TT. So for us, having these as a first and what we're creating in the 30th anniversary mm-hmm. of the Fireblade, the uh, the village and everything else that we're creating within in in the paddock, all of that is just pulling all of that together. Um, so hard to explain, but for me, with all of that going to the Isle of Man having John in the right frame of mind, having the equipment, having the team, the personnel there, having Glenn there, first, you know, newcomer, if you like, you know, and all of that, taking all of that in, it's with uh, not putting your expectations up here too high. Do you know what I mean, Steve? Mm. It's uh, There's so many firsts with everything, so much to go on there. Glenn, we want you to do this, do this, and John... His hundredth TT start. Yeah, I get it. It's, it's not just the thirtieth birthday. It's no. and obviously it's um, some some iconic moments and, and yes. part of history that's going to be happening. Yes, you know, because I'm sure Glenn's got a big future there. Without doubt, he's going to love the place. Um, so you, you could be kicking off a a new phenomenon as well as flipping. You know, John McGuinness being a hundred TTs and you know, and hopefully some success as well. For sure. Uh, you're right. Glenn's, he's been buzzing with us for, for years, Steve. You know, like I said, when we went back over in 2019 and everything, he was, it was just, this is his, this is where he's going. This is where he's going. Whatever. He's got it made. You know, Glenn, Glenn will be listening to this. I know what it's like. He'll listen in, you know, and he's, he's obviously got it made. You know, he's had three years to learn the place. He's had two years off, so he's he should be the fastest newcomer ever and he could even win the first year. You know, there's no pressure on it. <laughs> Uh, am I helping? <laughs> no, not at all. Heart rate's going through the roof. No, I'm now. joking, mate. Honestly, I am. You know, just obviously, he's been brilliant. I think so far. Yeah, you know, taking everything step by step, and uh, yeah, no fair play to him. So let's let's dream a little, right? You can mm. either have the choice of Glenn being British Superbike champion or senior TT race winner by the end of this year. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which one are you having? You have to pick for, one. I'm, I'm going for British come on, Superbike champion. Come on, Captain Silverstone. <laughs> <laughs> British Superbike, you, yeah? I'm going for British Superbike champion rather than, yeah. Because? Because, you know, I don't Because John McGuinness is there to win the senior, obviously. I do not want to put any more no, pressure sure. or anything like that onto Glenn. And he knows that and the team know that. And that's our big challenge of, mm-hmm. of just reining everything in and being methodical and doing things in a very different way. As I said... Come to the northwest, Glenn's going to be on fire. Mm-hmm. You know, he is going to want to be on the top step, 
and you know rightly so and yeah. we want him to yeah. however two weeks later going to the TT he's back he is the newcomer is, he, that it, first yeah. time down he's a novice yeah and let's we have another two, TT for two years through COVID so look everybody for, for Glenn coming in at this time it's probably a better time than ever because there hasn't been any races previously. So there's a lot of riders that haven't been there and a lot of riders that haven't been down there since. So there's more chance of winning, you're saying? No, no, there's not more chance of winning, but I'm just saying it's going in at a steadier pace. Yeah, no, I fully understand that, yeah. With everybody. Pressure know, off. There will all be a steadier pace building up to it. Yeah. it's whether you, I suppose yeah. it's whether Glenn can, can just rein it back in and remember where he's, where he's at and remember he is a, a, a relative newcomer to it. Yeah, I think so. I think he will. I think, you know, the first lap around there will be a huge eye-opener for him. Every time we go out there, he's still learning. Every time he's spoken to you, Steve, I know. I spent a lot of time talking with John and, um, you know, the, he's, he's... John's always... obviously a big part of this. You John, know, yes. keeping yeah, uh, Glenn, not Glenn at Bay, that's the wrong thing to say because he's a professional, but, you know, um, mentoring him a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I think John's got a huge amount to to share and and it's like with anything steve and you would have experienced this you've got a lot of experiences now whether anybody wants to take that on board or not is another thing and i think you know the the parts there where john can explain uh, can explain it in a way where glenn can understand it and appreciate it but having never ridden it Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's the hardest thing because he's not done a lap you know he's he's been and watched I don't know how many on boards he's driven around in a car that is not the same far from it exactly so <clears throat> it, I don't think we can get away without talking about some of the years at, at Honda when John was there last and, and what happened there obviously we, we briefly spoke about it uh, but I guess people would be wanting to know but obviously if you can explain, because I didn't really know this, how Honda UK racing is slightly different from Honda Europe. Now, during the, that period where, where John and, and Guy had the, their issues, that was under the umbrella of, of Honda Europe. And obviously you, you weren't part of that. So explain the difference between Honda UK racing, for those people that probably don't know, and Honda Europe, and, and okay. where you were at with it all during that period of that time. Okay. So, so Honda Motor Europe, if you like, sits here. And um, all the other branches, or GEMPOs as the Honda call them, so Honda UK, Honda France, Honda Italy, Honda Germany, yeah. all report into HME. Right. Okay, so we all report into HME. HME at that time were overseeing and running World Superbike programme, uh, Dakar, um, GT, uh, Endurance and TT. Mm-hmm. So that was all owned, that was controlled by Honda Motor Europe. Right. And they had their teams in those various disciplines yeah. operating in those programs. We were still running in the same building, but an offset that we were all Honda UK. So we were doing all the British domestic and HME were controlling all the European or world events. Mm-hmm. So the Northwest and the TT fell under the European banner. So it was all managed, controlled by HME. So the years then when John and Guy um, riding for for Honda, HME, the roads team, albeit as well John and Guy riding 
for us along with Michael Rutter and Tom with Mugen. Mm-hmm. So um, it's I've been over there, you know, for the last 10, 11 years, but the period of my time working there has been helping and supporting the Mugen project with the TT0, not with Honda HME. Yeah. Road. So, so again, Mugen and the Honda Mugen and the electric bike are completely different division from from the bike that was there for the the Blade, the Honda, and the uh, like you say Honda Europe. Yes, two completely different yes, things. Two completely different entities. Yes. So, how was it managing the the Mugen? What, what I was, was really that? there to help support Colin Whittemore. So, um, but what was it uh, in terms of an experience? The fact that we're using an electric bike around a TT course. For me, the the very first year when um, I met Mister Honda before the, the program started and to have that opportunity to say, look, you know, we're going to bring an electric bike over and um, getting involved in that and understanding that, all right, the first year was pretty difficult because um, Hon- you know, Mugen were very, very, not secret, but they obviously didn't want everybody seeing and knowing and everything what was going on. Um, and once they realized that they had the reliability and the power and everything else there it kind of opened up a lot more and over the years enabled us to see um, a lot more that was going on you know and, and some of the computer work and the computers they had set up there for monitoring and charging the batteries um, was absolutely mind-blowing and if we go back 10 11 years now to now mm-hmm. and think this is the start of the tt0 and look where we are in the world now of electrification from cars and motorcycles and everything else. And it's cutting edge what they were doing then in designing their own motor and working, designing their own inverter. You know, they had, to, um, I think, the final two years we had a um, water cooled inverter, oil cooled motor, and air cooled battery cells. And, you know, the the charging capacity from 12, 13 hours the first year, down to three and a bit hours the final two years. I mean, so the charging had gone from that to that in mm-hmm. that time. And the battery cell, albeit they don't like us quoting numbers, had moved from one number to another number. So we'd gone from a certain amount of cells to more cells, yeah. and more power, but charging quicker. And, you know, when people would come and have a look at the bikes being serviced and charged and be plugs and air funnels and everything and what they were doing were charging the batteries monitoring the cells of the temperature and then cooling everything down with air conditioning units yeah. through the air intakes so understanding all of that and working with that was a great and fantastic opportunity and um something that will always i'll always sort of remember and look back on as um you know cutting edge and you you think from the first year lap times and everything to 121 in, in that period that jump in that period hasn't been done on petrol engine no massively no so, and that's I guess that's a Honda effect it's a Mugen Mugen, yeah, yeah. It's Mugen obviously Hiratoshi Honda is, mm-hmm. uh, who owns Mugen it's his company and the, all the R&D work or any of the development work they do is all around on Honda machinery from uh, R&D work from um, an EV motocross bike to anything electrical, anything petrol. So in terms of, of your career moving forward then, mm. do you see yourself staying with Honda until the day you'd go, oh, I've had enough of this now, or <coughs> or, or, would there be, or could somebody sway you away from, from it? 
Do you know, um, for me, you know, I'm what, 58 now? I'm <laughs> 38. <laughs> um, Plus that. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly catching up with Steve. Almost. Um, no, listen, I've had, I've had a great time with Honda and they've looked after me through good times, bad times, you know, and... Um, um, Why'd you look at Steve when you said bad times? Well, <laughs> the experience of having Steve on board. No, you know, <laughs> they've been there. And um, for me, I've got no ambition to move anywhere else. Mm. Um, I still got probably lots of things that I'd like to achieve. I'd like the team to win British Superbike. I'd like us to be successful at the roads. I'd like to be successful at the Northwest. And I'd like to be able to develop younger riders coming in to Superstock, to Superbike, to show a little bit, bit of progression and um, going forward because, um, you know, the, these bikes are pretty special, pretty unique. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of power now. Um, and you look at how these machines have all evolved um, and you can argue that certain other things within haven't. So... <clears throat> Coming back to the Alaman TT 2022, uh, two good riders, very good. Obviously, one newcomer, one very established, very successful. What classes? Superbike, Superstock. Why yes. no Supersport? Good question, Steve. As you know, the CBR 600, we stopped, uh, Honda stopped producing a good number of years ago, and um, we sort of continued support from five years, I think, up, you know, further five years after we stopped selling it and bringing it in. And then um, Honda have bought out a new or a revised CBR600RR, but for the Asian market only. So you can't buy it in Europe. You can't buy it in America. You can buy it in Asia and you can buy it, obviously buy it from Japan direct. Now, Honda, Honda Motor Europe were told that basically that bike will not be available for the use in the European market sector, whether that be on the roads, on the road, or mm -hmm. for racing. We looked, we'd requested of trying to do something for, for racing. Um, and I, whether it's COVID or whether the timing wasn't right, or I don't know, but it was just very hard to get a, to get a definitive decision on the production of the, the bike and the parts. It's not just the bike, Steve, as you well know. Mm -hmm. You need a bike and then you need a lot of parts with it. Now, as it turns out, the bike is very different. The engine is very different. And it's getting those parts. So um, we were looking to try and do something. And we, we had a slot of production, if you like. We had a production slot, um, an arrival date, and that was all subject to certain things going on. Now, as we alluded to earlier, with a lot of the problems that we're having in, in Europe with um, Brexit and movement of goods and parts and everything else, that has been delayed, even now. So even if I had to push the button to say, yep, we'll wait and the bikes will turn up in the third week in April, mm -hmm. as it turns out, that wouldn't be the case. They wouldn't be here. Yeah. So we decided that we're not going to do anything. <clears throat> we don't have the bikes. We don't have the equipment. And it's something we'll look, look at for the future when I say look at so as far as you know obviously your apprentice Glenn Irwin he won't be riding a super sport no no 
he'll concentrate on the superbike and the superstock. Um, and, you know, people, a lot of people say that's uh, can pros and cons from that. But as a newcomer, he can go out in every session mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for him that first year. So, you know, whether it's on a, I know what you're going to say there, Steve, is if he had a 600, he'd go out there, but he can still go out now on the on, on stocker. On a stocker, yeah. So um, from, a pat, from the point of view of getting the laps, he still has that opportunity to do that. Yeah. And I think for me, for him to concentrate on the superbike and the superstock, whereas he's not, you know, he hasn't ridden a supersport bike for a number of years now. Not that he couldn't, but he hasn't. Um, I think, you know, let's channel all our concentration and focus into what we what we need to do let's go with before we go to your quick fire questions steve the guys aren't listening to this john doesn't listen to this podcast and neither does glenn right (laughs) what are your predictions for the boys at the tt oh good question chris and i know you don't want to put any more pressure on them and you that what, to be what, fair, it's not something I'm going to sit here now and say, right, I want John to finish here and and Glenn, because there, there's so so many anomalies, so much out mm-hmm. there that that um, could happen, and 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 I I, I don't want to say that on air. I really don't. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it's, uh, I'm sort of telling Glenn and everything to you know keep it contained and it wouldn't be right for me to sit here now and say right John I want you to finish this and Glenn I want you to do this yeah so I'm going to keep that to myself um, the answer should be you need to go I, out and learn and experience well, this as much as you want, possibly this can this is what I just want to get to Steve <laughs> for me for Glenn the biggest challenge for him is it's a huge learning curve for him mm-hmm. and if he can take that in in the rate that he has taken and the rate that um, I'd say the the way he focuses on rehabilitation, recovery, if he can do that on learning the TT, he will be a very successful lad in the future. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've got an idea of what you want. Obviously, you know, everybody wants the lads to come home safe and well. That's a given, but yeah. you've got you've got numbers in your mind that you'd be you'd be happy with. Like if Len goes there and finishes twentieth, the end of the day, as long as, as he's Glenn, learning, if, if, as long as he's learning and he's progressing, and he, you know, from a lap time, from his pace, from how he feels, and he's going to have parts of the track he's going to absolutely love, and there's parts of the track of the circuit that he's going to come back and go, well, that was phenomenal. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, we've we've just got to take all that in. And then, you know, you sit down and look at uh, 37 miles of data. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a, a minefield in itself. But what he's going to need to do is to really evaluate his strengths and weaknesses there. And, you know, his strengths, he can leave alone. The weaknesses, that's the area he needs to concentrate. It is an exciting prospect. I don't feel like that there's been this much excitement. for. Again, no pressure on him. Everybody knows that, but it, there is a there is an air of excitement about what Glenn is capable of because we've seen what he's done on yeah. the on the circuits. Yeah, for sure. And if I can keep that camaraderie, that professional approach, the the banter between John and Glenn as well, I mm-hmm. think that will really really help because John is a very calmer 
person, if you like, than Glenn. Glenn can be, you know, it can be um, a little probably um, fiery at times. And I hope that what John has can help really contain that. So you've answered half the question, Glenn Irwin. What about Mr. 23 times TT winner? (laughs) Your last win was 2015, I believe. I think, John, you know, I'm not going to rule anything out with John because, um, you know, he came away with us to Portugal to basically get his ride a big bike on a big open circuit at some speed. And it's like he said, you know, everything, there's so much more to come from him than the bike. And the whole reason of doing the test, doing the first few rounds, just getting him up to speed on the big bike. But, you know, to see him smile and see him um, and listen to him after each session and so on um, is, is something else. And I think I think John will surprise quite a few people, if I'm honest. You know, he's got a lot of experience. And as I said to you earlier, Steve, you know, nobody's been around the island for the last three years. So it kind of reins everything back into a different realm. You, know, you can't rule out the quick guys. You can't rule out Hickey and, and few, quite a few others. Yeah, it almost they levels are, the playing field. In terms of circuit so. racing, it's almost like a wet race. Very much so, yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. it does bring everybody kind of to, yeah. to the same level. Just before I go into my quick-fire questions, um, you know, TT this year, obviously, we've said earlier through through the podcast, um, it's a big celebration, obviously, it's... Um, you know, 30 years of the Firebird. Is it a celebration for Honda at the Isle of Man TT this year? There will be, yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't expect it to go into detail, but will there be some of the old riders there? Um, that's yet to be sort of finalised, I think, Steve, because there's lots of plans. We do have a few other events prior to the TT. So there's there's lots of things going on this year in conjunction with celebrating the 30th anniversary of the Fireblade. So um, so the fans I have all got something to look forward to. That's my point. Yeah, For sure. Definitely yeah. they've got something to look forward to. Definitely we're planning to have a, a selection of models from over the years on display and things like this. And, um, yeah, they will be... I hope you're not modelling Neil Tuxworth. <clears throat> right, quick fire questions, young man. Now, these... <laughs> um, Mr. A yes or no questions. A yes or no. One or the other. Okay, there's no explanation needed or wanted. Do you understand that? Thank you. <laughs> right, young man. Beer or wine? Wine. Motocross or road racing? What now? Answer the question one or the other. Motocross <laughs> or road racing? Road racing. Pineapple or no pineapple on a pizza? Pineapple. World Superbike or British Superbike? Now, British Superbike. Two-stroke or four-stroke? Two-stroke. Dave Thorpe or Guy Martin? Dave Thorpe. British Superbike champions or outright TT lap record holders? A TT pillion ride with Philip McCallum or pillion ride, yeah, or Steve Plater. God. Neither. <laughs> One or the other. Um, well, you're sat here now, so I'm going to take you. 
God, I'll arrange it. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks, that. <laughs> Advertising that to the whole wide world. Super stock or super bike? Super bike. Last one, Joey Dunlop or John McGuinness? Joey Dunlop. I love uh, how authoritative you get during these. One or the other, just answer the question. Hey, it has to be. No explanation. <laughs> Harv, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you very much. Thank We're you. only, what, a couple of weeks away from the TT now, so we will see you out there and hopefully, like we say, we'll, we'll see some good results from the boys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Good luck, mate. Thank, Thank you. you. Steve, do you think the, the, the juice was worth the squeeze? That was a good one, that. Yeah, I think so, mate. You know, uh, quite interesting, some of those things that, you know, you don't really look into as a as a fan, for sure, mm-hmm. and sometimes even as a, as a rider or an employee of the team. But, uh, no, interesting. Yeah, it was a fascinating uh, fascinating podcast compared... I mean, all the other ones have been great, obviously, because we've been involved. But the fact that we've, we've spoke to someone who's, you know, not necessarily a racer and they have a completely different take on it and they almost have a, a normal day job. No, that's phrase. right. And certainly got his hands full this year with a massive superbike team and, and of course, the TT effort. Yeah, I think I, I could see the pressure on his face already building. <laughs> <laughs> this has been episode nine of the TT podcast. If you've enjoyed it, then please hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Drop Steve's name in there as well. He loves reading them. We have plenty more star-studded names from the world of the TT on the way in this series. And here's a little taste of what you can expect from our next guest, Jamie Coward. Obviously, the, the main aim when you go racing is to win a race, you know. Sure, yeah, yeah. But I always look at the TT in a different aspect because it's just it's against the time, you know. So if you're going faster, you're going moving up the leaderboard. So if I can go faster than I was then last time, then I'm doing a good job. That next episode will be out in two weeks' time, and don't forget, you can get all the latest TT news and features over at iomttracers.com. And be sure to check us out on all the usual socials. We are, as ever, at TT Racers Official. Thanks for listening. Cheers, Steve. Cheers, mate.